Google I.O. updates that impact the entire world, websites spying on you before you submit data, ICE surveillance dragnet has been revealed, driverless car surveillance, NVIDIA open sourcing their code, updates on both Clearview and Google's compliance with Russian sanctions, and more. Good week. Welcome to Surveillance Part 88, where we're dedicated to keeping you private and secure with the latest news in the past week. I am Henry from TechLore. I'm Nathan from The New Oil. And as always, our segment this week is going to feature Monero. If you want to support us privately and you want to keep this podcast going for free, you can just send us Monero. It's in the description and you will see a QR code on the screen right now if you're on the video. There's also Patreon if you want to support us each month. That one actually gives you a lot of things back in return. We post a TLDR doc of all of these stories for you every week the moment that they air. We have segment-free audio and video versions, so it, you won't hear things like this and you don't have to skip through it if you're driving or something like that. And there's also a Q&A that we have at the end of each report that you get to ask questions on. So definitely check out our Patreon because it also supports us and you get a lot back in return. One little PSA for myself, it turns out um, the element in OBS, which is a recording software that I use, um, that I named my microphone got switched back to my laptop's mic. So I've actually been using my laptop's built-in mic the last several reports. Amazingly, it didn't sound as bad as either of us probably expected it would, um, but that should be fixed. And I'm also about a third of the way done with audio treatment. So things should be a lot better today with audio and it'll only get better from here. And now the highlight story. So I watched all of Google I.O. in real time, so I'll be covering it, but Nate will be covering more stories in the future and he may chime in along the way on the Google I.O. stories. First, we want to address why it matters because lots of this has to directly do with privacy and security, first off. Second, the things that don't still indirectly impact you and see they're one of the most influential companies and what they do impacts every other company and every other service you use. A good example of this is how Apple released privacy labels and now Google has privacy labels. So what Google decides to do may impact what other companies do. For those who aren't in the loop, what Google I.O. is, Google I.O. is Google's conference where they pretty much announce their newest updates, their newest tech, like where they announce their phone and they announce their watch. Um, it's kind of like WWDC, but for Apple. So the first story, Google brings phishing detection to docs, sheets, and slides, along with other privacy and security updates. If you post something like a link inside of a Google doc that's actually a phishing link, Google will automatically detect that and take action. On a similar note, they also announced 150 million accounts enrolled in 2FA last year alone. Their goal is easy 2FA for users at the cost of no TOTP, which they actually actively called out, no more six-digit codes which I mixed on because TOTP is an open standard. Lastly, they did make it easier for people to request the removal of your personal information from Google search. We covered this story already a few weeks back, but they did talk more about what this looks like and what it is. The next one, Google Chrome has added virtual credit card numbers to keep real ones safe. And I believe this actually integrates with Google's own payment method on Android. So when you pay for things with Google Pay, I'm fairly certain that these virtual cards go over there. So pretty much these are fake card numbers that are disposable and they link to your normal credit card info. But if you go to Starbucks or you go and shop online on Amazon, they're going to be getting their own unique credit cards, which is fantastic. Google says some users will worry that the company will use this data for purchase habits, but Google also says it will not use any of this information for ad targeting purposes. Treat that as you will. You probably know what we think about that statement, but there you go. Google Android 13 also made an announcement and there's some updates here. They will further restrict sideloading app permissions, which seems to be more of an issue for accessibility services because back then they would have a lot more access to your system and a lot of malware and phishing was frequently abusing this extra permission app management. But you can allow these permissions in the app and they will be disabled by default. These restrictions only apply to sideloading apps. So if you go on a website and they post their APK that you manually download and install, 
that is where this is going to be a bigger deal. Android 13 also is trying to make privacy and security a no-brainer. That's the headline. That's not my thoughts on it. So there's a lot in here. We recommend checking the article for a full list, but among the noteworthy stuff, apps have to ask permission. Um, the clipboard will automatically clear after a certain amount of time. Apps have to ask to send notifications, expanding on the automatically reset permissions thing that they've been doing, and more granular modules for manufacturers to update. Honestly, in my opinion, this is mostly minor stuff. Um, it's still nice to see the positive direction. Um, and it's also stuff that seems to be good improvements on preventing third-party privacy issues. But as always, not necessarily first-party from Google themselves, as all of these devices will be running Google Play services. Um, but it still seems like they're moving more of an Apple direction of maybe trying to hammer down on the third-party issues at least. Up next, uh, Google Messages, their own messenger. After trying 10 different messengers, they've now settled on Google Messages. And that... Messenger has had end-to-end -end encryption in direct messages, but now it is in group texts as well. Google demoed a lot of vision technology in I.O., and the best example that I could think of, so someone just held their phone up to think of a grocery store and all the chocolate, right? Like all of the different chocolate lists out. They just held the phone up to the chocolate, and the phone automatically scanned every brand on the shelf and automatically told you if, which ones were gluten-free, which ones were nut-free, and all this information. And Google described this as control F for the real world. And they applied this vision to like everything. So like when you're walking on the street, you could just hold your phone around. And the real reason I wanted to bring this up is the vision technology right now for cameras is incredibly complex. And I don't think we give it enough credit for how like amazing it is. And it's a little bit scary on a privacy front because obviously this technology right now could be used for looking for good chocolate, but this stuff is super advanced. Literally just waving your phone in front of something for a split second, that's enough time for your phone to automatically get all the information from everything inside that image. Google also laid a path forward for, quote, a future without passwords. So it's worth mentioning Google's moving that direction as well. They also talked a lot about their privacy practices and how they want to, one, minimize data footprints of their users. They want to collect less and delete more. And they want to use de-identified data and restrict access to the data with end-to-end -end encryption. They made a lot of bold claims, like they don't even need data anymore in an invasive way. Obviously, we're very doubtful of, of a lot of these claims, but it seems like they're at least trying to say that they're moving in a good direction. Take that as you will. Obviously, in the same conference later, they talked about how they're collecting data in cities to protect cities and that it's all anonymized location data and it's better for carbon footprint and that location data was anonymized. But we all know that location data cannot inherently be anonymized. So, you know, there's a lot of contradictory things that they're trying to tell us. RCS is a new replacement for SMS. SMS has pretty much no protection. You should assume anything you send on SMS or the green bubbles between two phone numbers is pretty much public information. RCS is the update to that, and you can actually use RCS with end-to-end -end encryption, and this is rolling out on Android. So they're working with carriers. Most carriers are now supporting RCS, and they're pretty much said, they directly called out Apple. They said along the lines of, it'd be nice if every other operating system in the world would also implement this technology. <laughs> um, so it was a pretty direct call out because at this point in time, if Android gets RCS with end-to-end -end encryption, if Apple did the same, then by default, even if you're on an iPhone or an Android device, you at least have end-to-end -end encryption, which would be incredible. So we hope to see Apple follow in their footsteps. A really fun tidbit here, something called Phone Hub was released, which is essentially AirDrop. Google invented AirDrop, and they demoed it with Signal. 
So they were just casually demoing signal usage on a phone and a Chromebook, which was interesting to see. And finally, they announced the Pixel 6a, as well as the Pixel 7, they teased the Pixel 7. So the 6a is gonna come out in July. It's very similar to the Pixel 6, just smaller and a little bit more budget friendly. And the reason why I even wanna mention it is pretty much all of the de-Googled ROMs are gonna be using the 6a. So it's also gonna have five years of software updates um, once it starts shipping. Great news for all of us. And that was pretty much the recap for Google I.O. I recommend um, watching it if you have the time or this is honestly pretty much everything you need to know. This is just a personal thing, that vision thing that you mentioned about the grocery store. How amazing would that be if that integrated with those apps that are like help you become a more ethical shopper by identifying things that have problems in the supply chain? And you could just like walk into the aisle, scan the stuff and pick out the like five or six products that are actually somewhat ethical. I just, you know, for the first time ever, my brain went to like the positive uses of this technology. But yeah, you're right. There's definitely a lot of uh, scary possibilities there too that we should be aware of. Well, that's the scary thing is like, you're totally right. Like there are so many positive things to do with, the, with this technology. Like we're not saying sure. we just don't do this. We're not saying stop doing all this technology. We just want it to be done in a safe way where it still respects people's basic human rights. A lot of the technology we discuss could be used for good things. It just unfortunately usually doesn't. All right, so that was a, a really big but very important highlight story. Thank you, Henry, for doing all of the talking. <laughs> With that, we're gonna move into data breaches. And only one came across my desk this week, and that was a historic hotel stay, complimentary emotet exposure included. And basically they talked about how there is a growing trend of multi-pronged malware campaigns. And they cited a specific story of this hotel where the attackers compromised the domain name. They also got a bunch of user data. So for example, they would send out a, a phishing email attachment. That phishing email would lead back to the compromised domain name, which seemed legit. It's, it's like a hybrid between uh, mass uh, phishing and targeted phishing. It's just, it's really interesting to see how malware is evolving and how things are getting more and more sophisticated. On a personal note, in the last couple of weeks, I've seen two phishing emails that I know for a fact were phishing emails, but looked really freaking convincing. So criminals are, are really evolving and getting better at this stuff. And with that, we'll move into companies. And we're gonna start with Google again. Google Play users in Russia can no longer download or update paid apps. This is due to the compliance efforts and this comes after Google had already stopped uh, Android app and subscription services in Russia back in March. So back in March, they said you can't pay for anything if you're in Russia and this is because of the sanctions. Free apps are unaffected. My concern here is this seems like a huge security risk for Russian users. I mean, you know, they can't get their apps updated. That's a big problem. And there's also, this is probably unrelated, but Chrome is not updating for Russian users on version 101 for Android. People who attempted to remove it and reinstall it cannot reinstall it. So this is really weird because Chrome is free. It doesn't fit with the paid apps. Maybe it's a bug and there's some kind of thing going on there. Who knows? But yeah, um, unfortunately, like I said, I think that my concern is this is putting Russian users in security risk because they can't update anything. We're gonna to transition to Facebook who has promised to remove quote, sensitive ads. Here's what it left behind. So Facebook pledged to remove race, health conditions, and political affiliation from ad targeting options, but the markup found advertisers can still easily target the same exact people. So some obvious ad categories have indeed been removed like young conservatives, uh, Hispanic culture and Hinduism, all categories we found as options on the platform back in early January, but have since disappeared. However, other obvious proxies for race, religion, health conditions, and sexual orientation remain. Hispanic culture was removed, but not Spanish language. Tea Party Patriots was removed, but Tea Party and the Tea Party were still available. Social equality and social justice are gone, but advertisers could still use 
social movement and social change. We can keep going. You get the point. The problem is this is pretty much the most superficial thing Facebook could have possibly done to address this problem. And it's good that the markup did this investigation and you can go ahead and read all the other examples if you wanna see just how hilarious this is. All right, our next story is good news and it comes from Clearview AI who has been banned from selling their facial recognition software to most US companies. This is the result of a settlement that was started in 2022 with the ACLU over the Illinois law banning the use of individuals biometric data without consent. The real lesson is laws can do things sometimes, even local ones, like this was a law in Illinois that had huge national effects for all Americans. For the record, like we're with you guys. You should still use encryption. You should still make it impossible or at least hard for these companies to break the law. But at the same time, there's a lot of people out there who are just like, well, I don't even bother with the, the po political and legal stuff because it doesn't matter anyways. Like, yes, companies do break laws. That's, that's very important. That's worth noting, but they're not totally ineffective. So they do matter. Just to quote a few more things, according to the terms of the Clearview settlement, which is still in the process of being finalized by the court, the company will be nationally banned from selling or giving away access to its facial recognition database to private companies and individuals. Clearview also has to maintain an opt-out for Illinois residents. And this is a good start. Obviously, there's still way more to go, but it's a good start. Two final stories, really easy, quick ones. First one, Microsoft May 2022 patch Tuesday, like we always cover. Uh, yeah. Update, use automatic updates if it's easier for you. That's what we recommend to most people. And speaking of that, Microsoft Windows 10 20H2 has reached end of service. If you're using automatic updates, this is, this is not an issue, but you should check anyways to see what's going on. And that's the end of companies this week. And that means we're now gonna move into our research section. And we've got some really interesting stories this week. We're gonna start off with, uh, the headline says, thousands of popular websites see what you type before you hit submit. Researchers from KU, Levin, totally screwed that up, Radboud University and University of uh, Lausanne crawled and analyzed the top 100,000 websites looking at scenarios in which the user is visiting a site while in the European Union and visiting a site from the United States. They found that 1,844 websites gathered an EU user's email address without their consent and a staggering 2,950 logged a US user's email in some form. Many of the sites seemingly do not intend to conduct the data logging, but in incorporate third-party marketing and analytics services that cause the behavior. Unquote. So once again, we're seeing the situation where the website is not intending to be malicious, but they add in like Google Analytics or something like that. And now that adds capability. They also found that Meta and TikTok had tracking pixels that can collect form data. Surprisingly, most often this information is hashed. So like, for example, if you go to enter your email in, it gets hashed and then sent to Facebook, which I mean, when they're seeing the same hash pop up over and over again, obviously they can correlate who that is, but I guess that was interesting that it's hashed at all. So yeah, really the, the big takeaway here is that when you go to a site and you type something in, let's say I go to sign up for a website and I type in my email and I type in a password and then I'm like, eh, you know what? I, I actually don't want to sign up for this website for whatever reason. That data may still have been submitted to somebody, which I, I think is kind of a big deal because most of us would assume that until I hit submit, that data is not permanent, right? And that appears to not always be the case. And our other research story this week comes from a paper that says evil never sleeps when wireless malware stays on after turning off iPhones. When an iPhone is turned off, most wireless chips stay on. For instance, upon user-initiated shutdown, the iPhone rem remains locatable via the Find My network. If the battery runs low, the iPhone shuts down automatically and enters a power reserve mode. Yet users can still access credit cards, student passes, and other items in their wallet. We analyze how Apple implements these standalone wireless features working while iOS is not running and determine their 
their security boundaries. On recent iPhones, Bluetooth, NFC, which is near-field communication, and ultra-wideband keep running after power-off, and all three wireless chips have direct access to the secure element. As a practical example of what this means to security, we demonstrate the possibility to load malware onto a Bluetooth chip that is executed while the iPhone is off, unquote. Yeah, basically, researchers were able to upload malware to an iPhone that was turned off. Now, it's worth noting, they jailbroke the iPhone in this research. Yes. Stop rooting and jailbreaking devices. It massively opens them up to malware, and I promise whatever you are trying to do is not worth it. Just, just don't. The article does propose a solution, which is basically telling Apple to install a hardware kill switch to the battery, which, I mean, I'm totally okay with that. I, I think you should be able to take the phone apart and pop out the battery anytime you want, but whatever. Yeah, so I mean, I guess the basic takeaway, if you like heard this story and you're like, oh crap, should I be scared? If I read the article correctly, you don't really need to be scared. Uh, it, it does require system level access. So just do the usual anti-prevention stuff. Don't download shady apps. Don't click random links. Keep control of your device. Don't just lose it for a week, and then when it shows back up, keep using it. If you have a very high threat model, like if you're a journal journalist or an activist in a hostile country, it's worth knowing that this is technically possible, and you should have it on your radar. You should be aware of it. All right, we're going to migrate over to the politics of the week, and we're going to start with the U.S. Immigration Agency that operates a vast surveillance dragnet, a study has found. And again... To those of you who listen to this, you're probably like, well, duh. But these studies actually make this stuff official, and it makes it so you can actually share this with people you know without sounding like a crazy person. So this is good. So this is a big story. U.S. Immigration Customs Enforcement, or ICE, has built a vast digital surveillance system that gives it access to the personal details of almost every person in America, a two-year investigation by Georgetown University Law Center has found. This includes driver's license data for three out of four adults in the U.S., utility records for 75% of adults, uh, driver movement info on 75% of the U.S. population, and facial recognition technology from the driver's license photos of at least one-third of all adults. So even if you're not from a different country, if you're born in the U.S., you're probably still caught up in all of this ICE stuff on a pretty extensive level. So that's the story. Make of it what you will, and it's something that I think is worth sharing with a lot of different people. On the topic of ICE, uh, Thomson Reuters is reviewing the human rights impact of the data collection that they do for ICE. I'll, I'll just go ahead and quote the article. The company, via its consolidated lead evaluation of reporting, aka Clear Software, amassed data from private and public databases on individuals like social media information, names, emails, phone data, license plate scans, utility bills, financial information, arrest records, insurance information, and employment records, and much more. This also, as a side note, includes automated license plate readers. Thomson Reuters announced that they were entering into this deal with ICE. They got a lot of backlash from the general public, and they are now reviewing this this deal and they're like okay let's go see if this is actually problematic and we shouldn't be doing this and i'm hoping that they will come to that conclusion because in my opinion it's unarguable that this is not good we'll keep you updated on that but at least they're open to the review to continue the trend u.s cities are backing off banning facial recognition as crime rises Title says that all Virginia will eliminate their facial recognition ban in July, California, New Orleans, May this month. Uh, new bans like New York and Colorado are meeting increased resistance, and Vermont has reduced their ban's scope slightly. So it's worth mentioning that, I guess, as people are getting more confident and more okay with this technology, we're starting to see the bans become a little bit less frequent. So it's important to still push forward as we try to strive for more safe methods of implementing facial recognition if at all, if it's even possible. You know, and just for the record, like some people out there 
seem to think that this is an either or situation. Like either you're pro privacy and therefore you're like totally okay with letting criminals run loose and letting pedophiles get away with stuff, or you're like totally in favor of stopping crime and therefore you have to accept that privacy is not a thing. That's that's a false dichotomy. Like is it a hard balance? Absolutely. Do I have all the answers? Absolutely not. But I think it's worth knowing, you guys, that like we're not saying like, well, crime is just you, you got to accept that it's going to happen because privacy. It's it's more that it's like, OK, obviously we should be fighting crime. We should be stopping this bad stuff. And it's like, at what point are you doing so much damage to civil rights in the name of making the world safe? Like you, you, what kind of world are you living in there where you have no rights, but at least you're safe? Like Especially... that. that Especially when a lot of the safety measures that they're trying to do are just in the name of, oh, to be safe. But if you actually evaluate the effectiveness and how much safer it actually makes the world, you'll see that some of the things that they're doing don't make a huge difference. Even on the topic of facial recognition, we've covered so many stories where the cops were like, yeah, well, it's not even accurate, so we can't even actually use it to eventually yeah. like prosecute people. And um, there's just a lot of issues with these things. And that's kind of we've our We've covered goal. multiple stories where they arrested the wrong person, usually minorities. And now, like, even even if you're, like, a patriotic person, hey, guess what? Now you're wasting taxpayer money and time on things like fa- wrongful arrest lawsuits and, like, like come on. It, in no way is that a win in, in by any metric. All right, so our next story, the DEA is investigating a breach of law enforcement data portal. The U.S. Drug Enforcement Administration, which is the DEA, says it is investigating reports that hackers gained unauthorized access to an agency portal that taps into 16 different federal law enforcement databases. Krebs on Security has learned that the alleged compromise is tied to a cybercrime and online harassment community that routinely impersonates police and government officials to harvest personal information on their targets. Unquote. So, in other words... This might be – we talked in the past about uh, emergency data requests and how criminals are abusing those to get access to data. This might be related to that. This might be one of, if not the source, where this is coming from. The government has, of course, been notoriously cagey and tight-lipped, but the whole article is, is kind of just Krebs talking about, like, here's all the different sources we talked to and all the evidence. And so, yeah, this is probably most likely a thing. Up next, San Francisco police are using driverless cars as mobile surveillance cameras. So autonomous vehicles are recording their surroundings continuously and have the potential to help with investigative leads, says the SFPD training department obtained by Motherboard via public records request. So cars in general are troves of personal consumer data, but autonomous vehicles will have even more of that data from capturing the details of the world around them, says the EFF. So SFPD's use of autonomous vehicles cameras uh, follow the practices of the Chandler Police Department in Arizona, where Waymo has been testing AVs since 2017, but previous reports indicate that these rare instances involving traffic crimes like hit and runs. SFPD did not respond to a motherboard email asking for more details. For people who use the nothing to fear, nothing to hide argument, they sure do like to hide a lot of information from the public. Personally, I think it's worth mentioning that there aren't many other major US cities with so much effort and energy being put into autonomous vehicles all in one place. So like I'm not far from SF. If you drive around SF for an hour, you're guaranteed to just see an autonomous vehicle on the road. You can tell because they have all the LiDAR and, inf- and stuff on top of them. So you, you'll just see them everywhere. So it makes sense to see these stories come out in SF. Um, but the reason why this matters for everyone is this technology will soon be in every city possibly even start moving out to smaller areas as time goes on. So let this be your warning and see what happens in SF and how it can apply to pretty much everyone else. See how this was in Arizona and this is an issue in Arizona. SF has a lot of these cars. It's in SF. 
There's a good pattern here. And on a similar note, on a more positive note for California, California law enforcement now needs approval for military-grade surveillance equipment. You know, like the bare minimum. So the weapons the United States military, drones, mobile command centers, sound cannons, and more have been handed off to local law enforcement for years with really no oversight. So this now requires democratic control of whether California state or local law enforcement agencies can obtain or use military-grade tools, whether they are received from the federal government, purchased, utilized by some other channel, etc. This is through their elected officials, and the public can say no to military surveillance and other technology, and it won't be allowed to come to town. These democratic control measures include the creation of draft use policies that must be publicly posted, an opportunity for residents to organize and be heard, and a vote by the governing body at a public meeting. This is a good step forward. Um, I personally don't think it will be enough to make a massive difference, especially since these technologies are already used and people are unlikely to roll them back because life's been fine with them being used for them for so long. Um, but I still think it's a good step in the right direction and maybe this will, I don't know, maybe I'll be wrong. I do just want to note personal opinion here. This is why it's good to get involved with local politics because, you know, you're, you're going to have they're going to have to go to these public meetings where people can come up and say, hey, I think this is a crap idea. And here's why you should probably word it a little bit better than that. All right. We have two international stories and then we're going to round out the politics section. The first story comes from Russia, where it says Russia is pushing a law to force taxi apps to share data with spy agencies. So. Russia's government has put forward a law to force ride-hailing apps to give the FSB Domestic Intelligence Agency real-time access to their data. The document prescribes the obligation of the taxi ordering service to provide the FSB with automated remote access to the information systems and databases used to receive, store, process, and transmit taxi orders, according to a statement published Wednesday by the Lower House State Duma. Up until now, the FSB could obtain this information if it filled out a formal request who has the right to respond within 30 days. So they're basically trying to streamline the process and make it easier for Russia to spy on their citizens. And last but not least, the EU wants to scan your private chats for child abuse. So they released this thing called chat control, which I actually read the original version of the law. I have not read this current iteration. I'm sure there have been changes. In the original version, it was entirely optional. They made it very clear that this was not a backdoor into encryption. Like they said that in plain English, like this should not be construed as an order to backdoor end-to-end -end encryption. Unfortunately, in this current iteration, it seems that uh, they want to make this more mandatory. I mean, really, that's kind of it. They just, they want to make this mandatory now. And unfortunately, it looks like it's going to go through. Quoting the article, under the plan, tech companies can be ordered to detect both new and previously discovered CSAM, as well as potential instances of grooming. The detection could take place in chat messages, files uploaded to online services, or on websites that host abusive material. Unquote. Yeah, so it's, it's, unfortunately, it's still pretty vague. It's still pretty broad, but it's definitely not good for privacy. That, that much is very, very obvious. And with that, we will move into free and open source software. And we're going to start with a really big story. NVIDIA is transitioning to official open source Linux GPU kernel drivers. Quoting the article, their user space software is remaining closed source, but as of today, they have formally opened up their Linux GPU kernel modules and will be maintaining it moving forward, unquote. It's really cool to see them open sourcing and becoming more Linux friendly and continuing to maintain it too. It's not like they're just, you know, oh, we're done with this. You guys can have it. So good for NVIDIA. That's awesome. And hopefully they will open source more stuff in the future. I have two things to add here. Um, on my old desktop I used to have, I used to have uh, an NVIDIA GTX 1080 Ti which at the time was like the best GPU you can buy from NVIDIA that was consumer, like general consumer GPU. And then I also had an AMD Radeon 480. The 1080 Ti and every metric is the better GPU. And I was using my Linux distro. I think it was either OpenSUSE or Fedora at the time. It was awful. 
like things were just glitchy. I would click buttons and it was just awful to use. And then one day I switched my GPU to just be the AMD one. And it was like a whole nother experience. So for users who are on Linux with NVIDIA, it's like genuinely bad. Like it's bad. And so this is great news for that. And this is going to make NVIDIA much nicer to use on Linux, which is really exciting. The second thing I want to add is I don't know what's wrong with some of you. Like <laughs> Ma Mastodon, you know, people move over to Mastodon, which is what all of you want to happen for years. And then you troll the EU when they move to Mastodon. NVIDIA finally open sources their drivers, something that the Linux community and the open source community has wanted for like a decade. And now people are trolling their GitHub. What do you, what, why do you think they didn't want to go open source in the first place? You know, like, like it's our job to make this as welcoming and as to like reassure companies that they should go open source and to make the community look good. So I am shaming the people who are making this a bad transition for these companies because you're literally discouraging future companies from going this direction. So if you're part of that problem, um, you know who you are and I think that you're doing the wrong thing. Fedora thir Linux 36 has made it out of beta and is in public release. Uh, it includes GNOME 42, Wayland for NVIDIA and much more advanced stuff, which is awesome. So yeah. All right, our next story says, after Germany, China now wants to ditch Windows and run Linux on 50 million PCs. China has cited removing foreign operating systems as their reason for doing this. While we obviously do not endorse a lot of what the Chinese government does, this is still a win. You know, they're moving to something open source. Although in my personal opinion, I think it is worth noting that there are a couple of distros that were developed in-house by China. And I don't have any proof of this, but I suspect that they probably have some degree of backdoor telemetry information, spying capabilities. So depending on what distro they go with, this might kind of just be like trading one evil for another. But if if they do, by some security, go with like Fedora or something that's really solid, then this could be a really good win. And the last story of the week, DuckDuckGo Chrome extension now blocks topics and fledge. Google's new tracking targeting methods. Title says it all. If you use the DuckDuckGo Chrome extension, then that takes care of a few more things for you. And finally, we're going to move into Misfits. And we're going to start with a story from India. I, I don't know most of these words. I apologize. The headline says, From Haryana, land record website to Silicon Thumbs, how Bihar cyber fraudsters stole money. So basically... There were some Indian cyber criminals who managed to break into a database and steal images of thumbnails that were stored there. This was not like a, an authentication thing, like an app. Uh, what this was is these were land deeds. So imagine, you know, your rental agreement or mortgage or, you know, I mean, a land deed. Most people probably know what that is. And apparently in India, you can use your thumbprint or maybe you have to. I'm not sure. But you can use your thumbprint as part of your signature signature or as your signature. And... These were scanned and uploaded to the database. The criminals got in there, got these copies of thumbprints, and then made silicon copies, which I'm pretty sure we've covered stories in the past about how you can do that for pretty cheap. It's like five bucks each or something like that. Went out and made copies and used it to break into people's accounts and steal money. You know, once you, you upload something or once you hand over a piece of data, you've lost control of it. You know, I don't know if these people were told that this stuff was going to be uploaded. I don't know if they were told it was going to be uploaded in plain text. And then as always, we mentioned how like once your fingerprint is hacked, you can't change your fingerprint. So this really sucks for these kind of people. I know sometimes we're kind of sympathetic towards biometrics in, in the sense that like it's better to use a thumbprint than a weak password. But also at the same time, this is a good argument for why you should probably just develop good password habits. And I know that may be hard for some people to get into those habits, but in the end, that's probably going to be safer than just about anything else, in in my opinion. Up next, Illinois College, hit by a ransomware attack, to shut down. 
quite the quite the headline. I, I've read the headline as it's as it's stated, it's really funny. So Lincoln College is scheduled to close its doors Friday, becoming the first US institution of higher learning to shut down in part due to a ransomware attack. A goodbye note posted to the school's website said that it survived both world wars, the Spanish flu, and the Great Depression, but was unable to handle the combination of the COVID pandemic and a severe ransomware attack in December that took months to remedy. Again, we've talked about this in the past, and we will continue telling people, being hit by ransomware is not just, oh, I'm, oh, I'm gonna lose some money and pay off the ransom and everything's gonna be okay. These things typically have months of effects, and depending on the severity, this is, I think, the first time we've seen an institution like this, like a college, actually have to shut down because of it. So, huge news, um, very sad, and again, ransomware um, is going to impact things a lot more day-to-day, -day, so be prepared for this kind of stuff. Uh, power, water, resources, lots of things are going to be hit by ransomware. It's going to be a fun few decades. All right, and our last story of the week, this is a quick one. HP fixes a bug that let attackers overwrite firmware in over 200 models. The list of affected products includes business notebooks like ZBook, Studios, Zihan Pro, EliteBook, ProBook, and Elite Dragonfly, business desktop PCs like Elite Desk and ProDesk, retail, point-of-sale computers, workstations like the Z1 and Z2, and thin client PCs. So if you are using HP, they have a complete list on the security advisory. Go ahead and check out this article. See if you're on the list. And if you are, be sure to update. All right. With that, we're going to move into our Q&A section. This is, again, where patrons can comment and leave a question, and we will answer some of them. Our first one comes from Blue Sky View. Do you guys have a checklist of top actions for security, like a password manager seems like number one, or a VPN? I actually organized my website into most important, moderately, moderately important, and least important. And I did that for a reason. In, in my opinion, these are the things you should go in order of. And coincidentally, almost everything under the most important category is directly security related. That would be my answer is I, I would start there not to like shamelessly self plug, but yeah, I would start there personally. What's your website, um, Nathan? Oh, hey, good idea. Uh, that would be thenewoil.org. <laughs> um, next one is from Bill Ding. He says, I'm curious as to what podcast you to listen to. Doesn't have to be privacy related or are really excited about. Also, what would you say about your top five news sites are? Um, I'll start. The only podcast I listen to nowadays is the Growth Equation podcast with Steve Magnus and Brad Stahlberg. I think it's just phenomenal. And like I'm, I'm someone who does a lot more things outside of this podcast and the Techler channel. And so like trying to organize my life and like be the best version of myself, it like really helps to listen to that podcast for me. I'm really into true crime. So uh, my favorite podcast would be like last podcast on the left. Um, Parcast has a few good ones like conspiracy theories, uh, serial killers. They're, they're pretty straight, straightforward with their names. Um, as far as news, my favorite news site is BBC. Um, I know they're a little bit left of center, but I think they do some really good reporting and I like getting that global perspective on what's happening around the world and not just in the US, so. Yeah, I just have an RSS feed for like a lot of things I follow, including BBC. And uh, there's some subreddits that I have RSS feeds set up for. So I get like the biggest news for the things I care about. And the last Q&A for this report is from Ank. And I found myself sometimes losing the motivation of fighting around a world of surveillance and relapsing back to ignorance is bliss, especially when it feels like everything is against you. Maybe I'm just weak-minded, or have you guys had any similar experiences, and how do you personally stay motivated? Uh, I'll start by saying I don't think you're weak-minded. I think it's very normal. I think that you are. we are all fighting a losing battle. And I think part of your job to make an immediate difference is understand a threat model and understand that perfect privacy just doesn't exist. And so I would look at things as improvements over a long period of time, right? 
If you've never had a password manager before and now you're on a password manager, you are so much more secure than before you had a password manager. From there, maybe you can start getting to a more private search engine and a browser. I want people to look at privacy and security as a long-term journey that they focus on their entire lives rather than just something that they try to make perfect for a weekend and then slowly dive back into their old habits. So I don't know if Nathan has something to add there, but I think that the best thing is just looking at this as a long-term journey is already going to help you and take the load off and all the pressure of trying to make yourself private today. Like you said, like that's totally normal. Uh, I definitely feel that way sometimes, but I think um, two things. One thing you always talk about is community. Like it's really, it's really encouraging to get plugged into communities and like hear other people's successes and wins and just, you know, sometimes to commiserate, don't do that all the time because misery loves company, but company does not reciprocate it. But it is good to, you know, have other people who are in the same boat as you and fighting the same battle as you. It's very encouraging and also learning how to manage things. You know, there's, I, I still have windows. Like I, I dual boo and I have windows and I play games and like some nights I just put my phone in airplane mode and play games and watch movies for a few hours. Like, you know, it's important to know how to unwind and de-stress and knowing your threat model allows you to know where you can relax and where you can afford to, to take stuff like that. So, yeah. Yeah, that's all great. And the, since Nathan plugged his website for the first question, I'm going to plug a video that we did on tech lore that actually addresses this. It's like the dark side of privacy and it talks about like the mental aspects and a lot of things you're talking about and motivation and some of the things that we also suggest. So I'll leave both of those things linked below for all of you to go watch. All right, and that was the week. It was a pretty long and busy week, but a lot of important things happened. So I hope that it brought some value to you, including Google I.O., websites spying on you before you submit data, ICE surveillance, driverless car surveillance, NVIDIA open sourcing their code, which is so exciting, updates on both Clearview and Google's compliance with Russian sanctions, and more. Again, we want to remind you, you can directly support us privately with Monero, and that keeps this podcast free for everyone. So that's super appreciated. And also Patreon. That's a big help as well. And the nice thing about Patreon is we can have an actual budget every month and we can see, oh, this is how well we're performing and we can actually do better things um, that we can plan ahead for. So again, if you join our Patreon, you get a TLDR doc. So you get all of these stories in a quick written fashion. You get segment free audio and video versions of this podcast. You also get to join our Q&A and possibly be featured in these reports. So yes, a lot of exciting things. Thank you for listening to the surveillance support. The final thing we want to ask you to do is to share the podcast around and make sure you're subscribed and give us a rating if you're listening on a platform that allows that. We want privacy to reach as many people as possible and you can directly help us do that. Thanks again for listening and we'll see you next week.